The 100% Wild Podcast is brought to you by Onyx Hunt, the nation's number one GPS hunting app. Download today in the Google Play and App Store. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to a special edition of the Drury Outdoors 100% Wild Podcast. I am Tim Chelswick. I'm Matt Drury. And we have a special guest in studio, Mr. Mike Roos from Mike's Archery. That's I'm right. Mike Roos, Mike's Bait and Tackle and Archery in Old Town St. Peter's. And this is the guy that I think I, think I have probably um told every friend i know in the st louis area to go to mike's shop for good reason he's the best and it's close to our studio so that's nice too frankly it's you know (laughs) 10 minutes away we go over at lunch get what we need to get and then come back over you're all set so yeah you know we had a bunch of archery questions that's the guy we got to talk to. And Mike has bailed us out on a number of occasions when we have an urgent need, mm-hmm. something to, like a peep site comes out yeah. or something and we need it fixed. And Mike is always very gracious and gets us in. So we appreciate that. For you. Well, for anyone, but especially for me, <laughs> yeah. because it, during season, when something happens, nothing else matters. If yeah. your boat is not 100%, pff, you might as well not even go out. And it's not just us. Mike takes care of all of his customers that way. That's, that's right. That's yeah, there's the no special it. treatment. It's yeah. just everyone kind of gets that 100%. Yeah. So, so, you know, before we jump into questions of the day and this and that and the other, right, we talked a little bit off camera before we started. I wanted to get your take on the Vegas. Is it called the Vegas Open? Is that this this past weekend? The I just know that's the Vegas shoots the big the big indoor tournament, and I always followed it from a distance, just following guys like Levi, sure Morgan, you know, who's the man in our world, right? So we just call it the big shoot. Okay. Um, like you said, you know, we were watching it on, you know, live stream from Vegas at work. You know, first thing we did this morning, we got in, you know, check everything. Cause yesterday we kind of slacked off, didn't work. Um, we did know, you know, PSE naturally they took it, but it's always a wild card. You never know who's going to win Vegas. Yeah. One wrong shot. I mean, there's, there's many, many talented, talented, the best in the world. And if they just make one wrong shot, they're out. So that's a tournament that Levi's never actually won. Like he's won a bunch of tournaments. He's one of the best ever, but that's one that's eluded him, isn't it? Exactly. He's very, very good at 3D. He is the dominant 3D archer, but Vegas, yeah, that's a tough one. Very tough shoot. So what take, take us through it real quickly. If you know, like general, like what, what do you have to do in that indoor shoot? I I hear them saying this guy shot 27, three hundreds. And like, I don't understand that. I don't know much about that world. So how, how do they, how does it work exactly? So it's 30 shots around. And that's what it boils down to. You know, it's a mental game. You know, Levi can do it. You can bet him whatever to do it once 10 times, but 30 times just wears on your mind. You have to get your mind in a certain place to be able to do it that 30 times. And you have to do it 30 more times and 30 more times. So the total score is, you know, 900. Um, I think 21 900s were shot. So then it boiled down to, I guess, guess the X count. They also had a shoot off. Um, the shoot offs were fun to watch this year. It went real fast last year. I forget how far out the shoot offs got, but this year the shoot offs, you know, bam, 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 just started eliminating the last five. Wow. And as you said, a PSE guy won it. What was his name? Um, oh boy. I, I cannot remember that to save my boy, life. I don't either. It was not someone I had heard of previously, which is, that's the neat part too. It's like somebody can kind of come out of nowhere, right? Yep. Yeah. And that's what it usually is. You know, 
somebody just, you know, wh- where's that guy from? Who's, you know, there's, there's been non-sponsored shooters win, mm. you know, guys, the factory didn't even know of before. Yeah. I bet they got a deal after that. <laughs> they will afterwards. <laughs> Lots of free bows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that, pretty cool. It's just such a different level of human performance. You almost turn yourself into a machine mentally and physically. What's the yardage distance? Uh, 20 yards. 20 yards. Okay. So, because it's, I, I just like, they're all like a lot of those guys, they're shooting perfectly right in the middle every time. And that just, I don't know. I don't have that ability. That's not the way I, I fly. <laughs> I'm a, just a deer hunter. <laughs> yep, yep. But you hit a paper plate. I'm doing good. You got that body cavity. <laughs> vitals, right? <laughs> Let's shoot vitals. So I'm uh, always impressed by how well those guys shoot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we should probably say thank you to the folks at Ark of the Ozarks for inviting us down to visit with them and go to the the great outdoors. Yeah. Show down in hosted. Springfield, Missouri yesterday, Tim, Scott, and myself went down there for uh, a Q&A seminar and got to see some folks that um, that we've worked with, you know, Brett and Michael and yep, a couple of guys, guys. At, at Midwest Archery, which I'm sure you probably know of. Those guys, I don't know if you know them specifically, but they're pretty nice guys too. And so it was neat to go down to that Springfield show. That's the second time I've done that. Yeah, they had you back, which is unbelievable. <laughs> now, well, the real test is if they're going to have me back again time. because I had you and Scott with me. So if they don't have <laughs> me back for a third time, we know what the difference was. They're just going to contact Scott and I like, hey, do you mind just coming down and maybe not telling me? <laughs> to make up an excuse for going down there. But it's cool to go to an outdoor show and see a lot of people that maybe you see virtually or you stay connected with via social media. It's nice to actually make some human connections again. Yeah. So all that Mike does every day is make human connections. We do lots of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What type of, I mean, you know, I, we were talking before we jumped on here and, and you were saying starting to kind of peter out a little bit. Now the season's been, you know, over for over, close to a month now. And you said that the, the business between the end of the season and now has been mostly guys getting prepared for next season. Yes. Now that's another level of preparedness. I, I don't have that in me. I don't think. Some forethought. <laughs> Those are the guys who put things away and know where they put it. I'm just, you know, the day before season starts, where'd I put that and run yeah. around tearing up the closet? <laughs> yeah. yep. That's right. Yeah. So, um, so we want to have Mike on because uh, w- one of my buddies, he actually closed his archery shop down and is kind of doing more perf- high level performance tuning out of his garage. But he shut down his brick and mortar archery shop. We know that's that's a trend in in the archery industry. So, we wanted to get Mike on to talk about what's happening with the local archery shop, uh, and then also what we can do as bow hunters and guys that just enjoy the sport to continue supporting the local archery shop. Cause that, that's a real vital resource for us to have. So my kind of big picture, what do you see are some of the big trends in, at play? Uh, so the big trends at play are, you know, Amazon naturally, you know, it's, it's not just the archery industry, it's every industry. And that's what I'm kind of looking to like, uh, what are mirror images so I can learn before it happens to me? Um, your overhead is one thing, you know, a lot of the archery shops going out, unfortunately had a lot higher overhead. They were a bigger building, um, you know, sparsely populated areas, you know, a lot of guys could shoot outside. We even noticed, you know, 2007, 2008 gas prices, that affects, you know, how far somebody's willing to drive to come get their bow serviced. Mm. Um, YouTube also, you can go on YouTube and pretty much learn how to do everything you need to do on a bow. Now, half the time, is that the right way to do it on the bow you have? Mm. Um, 
you know, we see a lot of stuff come in. Somebody tried it themselves and it hmm. didn't quite work out the way it did on YouTube. Uh, you know, it depends on your skill level, you know, your dexterity, how you can do things. Uh -huh. Um, specialized tools we're getting more and more into that so that does drive people my way you know if i have a bow press that works with the product they have um, when we bring a new line in of say a crossbow you know that that's a real specialty press a lot of times you know we're gonna have to get that and get that going but then you know we've got it locked in we've got the tool you need uh -huh. so you have to come visit us but uh you know the other thing is we're only busy six, eight months out of the year. And the downtime is you just got to be able to, you know, be able to make enough in busy season to pay your employees through the off season. So for the smaller shops, it probably is a lot more doable. If you say you only got one other, two other employees, you don't have to have a ton of overhead. You know, that probably makes a big difference to your point. When you got a big space, you got to fill the space or you feel like you need to fill the space mm. and having overhead is probably uh, just the killer in and of itself. Yeah. The overhead's the key. Um, I've looked around on Google maps at other shops, looking at their footprint, trying to figure out their square footage. And then we got a rough idea, you know, how much volume they do. And I'm like, Holy cow, how are those guys doing it? And you know, then you see they're up for sale shortly. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a sad trend, but like you said, it's one that I, a lot of industries are going through because of the Amazons of the world. So yes, it's convenient to get your product shipped to you the next day and free shipping, but man, there's something to be said for that personal interaction and to be able to ask questions to somebody that knows what mm -hmm. they're talking about. I mean, that's why I like going in is because I, I always learn something, you know, I'm by no means a, a archery, you know, um, know it all or know it some, <laughs> I'm not that guy. So when I have any question or if I'm having issues with my farm, I like to go in and have someone that knows what they're talking about, take a look and see what I'm doing wrong. And usually yeah. you get me fixed within, you know, a few shots. It's like, Oh, okay. Your elbows, uh, you know, you need to, you know, go all the way back or your elbows too high or whatever mm -hmm. the case may be, or you're punching or whatever. You, you can't get that with Amazon, you know? So right. to me, that's, that's the biggest beauty of, of having the, the shop to go to. Well, that's why I say I'm still in business. Fit is critical. You get the bow fit, right. Then you use proper form. You're going to be much more successful on the range and much more confident in the tree stand. Yeah. So how do you handle when when someone when someone buys a bow elsewhere and they bring it to you there's it's it's kind of a rub I imagine because you're not you're not making anything on that initial sale but then they expect you to dial it in for them. How do you handle that? So I look at that from this manner. Yes, they did buy it from somebody else, but the nice thing is they did search me out, they came to me and want my advice. So then I feel, you know, it's fine to charge them for that advice. I'm like a doctor at that point. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm going to help them as best I can. Um, but um, I want them to be aware that there's a charge for that. And I hope they see a result, you know, from me charging them. Yeah. And I noticed that you have a sign up in your shop that says something like we, we charge labor fees. Yes. And, and hopefully people just, I mean, if a plumber comes to your house and tells you, okay, here's three issues or an electrician, you would expect to pay them for their time and expertise. And the same thing holds true for the guys at the bow shop. I mean, you, you have a skill and a talent that ought to be compensated. 
the the issue we have is we're you know we're close to a lot of mass merchants and the mass merchants don't charge labor because what the way we look at it is if they charge labor then they'd be responsible so they're it's negligating the the insurance so oh. you know it's it's a lawsuit type deal you know they didn't charge you for it so you know they're they're a little less negligent I do believe is why okay. they don't charge labor is what we've heard gotcha so so when someone goes into a boat a part of the challenge I think with a bow shop is that a lot of times it can feel very relaxed and like, Oh, Hey, would you mind looking at this? And then they just kind of walk out. What are some of the, the kind of common courtesy things that you would like people to follow when they come into the shop? And maybe one of them is around just expecting to pay for labor. Oh, you hit the nail on the head. Hey, could you check this out? It's like, yeah, when you ask that question, you know, it oftentimes leads into this, that, and the other. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, a good customer, yeah, they're they're willing to pay for services because they know they're getting value with that. Um, I used to fix foreign cars, and I was good at it. And I took my motorcycle to motorcycle mechanics. Like, what are you doing here? You can do this yourself. I'm like, you know, tricks on that motorcycle that I know on these cars. I'm paying you for those tricks. Yeah, you know, there's there's just little things that we can help you with that will hopefully you know you you see value in. Mm, sure. That's a good way to put it. And that's any trade, really. You know, I want the best person in that trade to help me. That's not my skill set. So I, I'm not a YouTube guy, though, in that respect. Like, I'm not a DIYer. I, I would prefer to go to someone that knows their craft really well and has trained in it for years and years and years and and have them help me. Mm -hmm. uh, that's just me personally, though. But that's I, I don't I don't I there's definitely a value that's associated with having your stuff done right and done well, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Especially when it comes down to your bow is the last link between you and your potential deer. So you don't want anything to be wrong with it. Well, the other thing I see too on YouTube, you're going to have to weed through a lot of information where when you come to me, you know, hopefully I can do what's going to take you two hours on YouTube in about five minutes. So you're going to yeah. save a little time. Hopefully have confidence it's done right. Sure. Now, earlier you mentioned crossbows and, and having a specific press for them. And uh, just in general, how has the rise of crossbow hunters impacted business at the shop? Uh, boy, that's an interesting uh, can of worms right there. So your archery purists generally don't want to talk crossbows much. For me, after being in business 30 years, it's where the technology is changing. So that's where I'm enjoying it. I get to learn. You know, the bows have kind of went flat. Um, but crossbows, you know, back to Vegas, that's the first score I looked up. No one in Vegas has yet shot a perfect crossbow score. That is open. And you've got huh. crossbows that'll shoot a one-inch group at 100 yards. It's kind of crazy. So but they're free handing it. Enter. They're free handing it. I saw Greg Ritz was in it. And that's I didn't know they had that competition until I saw that he was in it this year. Yeah, the, the crossbow end, you know, the crossbow end of it, you know, it's fun. Um, and there's so many misconceptions about what a crossbow will do, what it won't do. Um, the quality level rate runs the gamut. Some of them you can shoot 15 shots before they break some of them, 3000 shots, but they do have a much higher failure rate, which a lot of people are unaware of. Uh, is that just because the forces at play are so much greater? Uh, I go back to cars all the time. It's like a dragster. You're taking a ton of energy in a real short amount of time. Mm -hmm. Your bow, when you draw it back, say it's say your 28-inch draw, so you're pulling a 22-inch span, 60, 70 pounds. Crossbow, you've got a 14-inch power stroke at 220 pounds. And it's just a violent, violent energy trans, you know, transaction. Sure. So yeah, they just don't hold up as well. 
We have some violent energy transactions that happen here in the restrooms <laughs> during outdoors. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> As a guy that's got a, a desk close to the <laughs> right. restroom. <laughs> and those exhaust fans just don't work quite yeah. as good as you'd hope they would. So in your opinion, you know, it's a can of worms, but ha- has it adversely affected business? Or I would think if, if you're on top of those technologies and, and that curve that you can capitalize as a, as a bow shop and, and the fact that everybody, you know, is one, that's the hot new item. Everybody wants one. Everybody wants one. So if you have a decent uh, amount of them or options, you'd be the hot ticket, right? Oh, you're there, the hot ticket. Um, yeah, we, we, we sell quite a few. Um, when Missouri went crossbow legal three, four years ago, um, we, it hasn't sales on crossbows for me haven't peaked out yet. I did a little research. They said after your third year, you're generally going to peak out, but we have, we haven't peaked out yet. Mm-hmm. We had a lot of customers, you know, one guy I know totally anti crossbow called me up, Mike, I need a crossbow and you know, big deer 80 yards away. Never could get it. His neighbor killed it. So he said he'd rather have it on his, his wall. He doesn't care how he puts it there. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. We had the discussion quite a bit this year, this fall, because you know, I was after a certain deer and I kept encountering him and it was 50, 60 yards. It was just a little too much from what I felt like my effective range was. And so dad was on me. He's like, why aren't you getting a crossbow? And these guys are like, well, how would you feel about it if you did shoot one with a crossbow? And it's one of those things where I said, I wouldn't, it wouldn't upset me if I shot it with a crossbow, I'd shoot it with a gun in gun season. So, you know, why would a crossbow upset me? Now, that being said, do I feel like I accomplished something a little more if I shot the deer with a bow. Yes. That's just me personally. I feel like it's more difficult. That's why I encountered him so many times. I didn't kill him. You know what I mean? So turns out I ended up shooting him in muzzleloader season. And to me, it would have been probably like shooting him with a crossbow, you know, (laughs) although even then it was 80 yards. So Mm -hmm. even then would have been kind of pushing the limits of effective range for a crossbow. So, you know, it's one of those things. It's a personal deal. Like yesterday we were at this, this deal down in the, in Springfield and this older gentleman walked up to me. He said something about, uh, he was saying something about crossbows and, uh, he said that he, he used to hunt in West Virginia and every year and they moved to Missouri back in 07 and he hadn't hunted again and he had some health issues and he, he was, you know, he's probably in his looked to be in his mid to upper sixties. And, uh, I said, well, why don't you use a crossbow? And he's like, well, he goes, actually, that's what I started doing about two years ago. I got our three or whatever. I got back into hunting and it's only because of crossbow, because before that I just couldn't draw the bow back. And I, yeah. you know, that's the perfect reason why to, you know, to go shoot one or to introduce somebody or even somebody our age. Like I got no shame in my game. If if I felt like that gave me the advantage and it was legal to use it, I I don't really have much of a problem with it. I I don't know why I didn't try it this year, frankly. Yeah. Did you make that up? No shame in your game. Mm, That's something I heard along the way. Wow. I like it. (laughs) Don't steal it from me. As far as crossbows go, from my understanding, the, the, uh, the markup on, bows crossbows is pretty is pretty minimal you don't make a whole lot off of the sale of the bow or the crossbow are there as many accessories like because the, the really where a, a dealer makes some money is on accessories and things like that is there as many accessories for a crossbow is, is like the value of a compound bow a little higher that way so when yeah you hit the nail head unfortunately um 
Yeah, the crossbows, you know, they, they most of them buy it as a package. 95% of them go out as a package. Mm-hmm. They come with everything you need. The only time you're going to see that guy come back is for more bolts. Mm-hmm. You know, so sure. yeah, you're kind of limiting your sales a little bit. Um, they do require a little bit more maintenance. So we were looking forward to seeing that. You know, I had one dropped off today. The guy just brought it in, go over it, new scope. So that was the oddity. He was somebody, you know, that's the other issue we're having a little bit. You know, we're all getting older. The scope reticles are very, very fine. So we were looking through a book trying to find a, you know, big one he could see. Sure. And then we found one. We're going to put that on, do a little maintenance on it. Okay. All right. Um, one of the things that, that as, as I was talking with my, my buddy whose shop closed, he had mentioned the release of the timing of the release of new bow models and how uh, how much of a challenge that can be for retailers? Maybe talk a little bit about that. Oh, that is, yeah, that's that's a it's a tough one. You know, you're in the middle of busy season. You're bringing in ten, fifteen bows a week to sell that week, and then all of a sudden the market shuts off, and you don't know when it's going to shut off. When those, you know, it's this year's the twenty twenties. You know, they generally arrive late November, early December, and how many are you stuck with? that you're going to have to get rid of at a significantly, you know, you're basically hoping you break even on them. Mm-hmm. Of the 19s. Yes, of the saying. 19s. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're, yeah. Everybody wants the newest, most improved, and those things are going to be dead. Huh. The 19s are dead. So do you have to mark down pretty heavily to move them or? It, it, it depends on the model. Um, you know, the higher end the bow, yeah, you're going to have to knock those down a little bit unless the new ones, you know, so I go by XL, XL, X guys come in. That's a lot of times that is just deciding factor of what they're going to buy. So if brand X brings out a 28 and a 30 or, and you know, you have a 32 from the year before, you know, some guys are still going to want that. So you're not going to have to go too deep, but yeah, it's still, it's, it's inventory control is difficult. I've I've wondered why there really isn't more of a push to to do releases in in early summer when the serious guys are kind of getting are are taking the summer to get ready for both season. Talking out of school, but I thought like PSE told us that they were gonna move that direction or that's what they did with with Evolve twenty eight. Yeah. Yeah, to hit hit because of the dealer's input. You know, it's like they, they they're listening to what the dealers are telling them. It's like, all right, we need to change our timing a little bit. I th- I thought that was the case anyways. I could be wrong. I, I, I would love that if they did. I, I don't know, Mike, what you think. Well, years past, it used to be you go to the trade show, and that's when everybody released. Well, then one company decided to do it beforehand. They did good. They got a bunch more sales. So now we're seeing October, November releases right in the middle of things. But yeah, you like you said, I would love to see, you know, March. You mm-hmm. know, that'd be awesome. Then sure. we we'd have time to learn the bows. That's the other thing. We want to figure the bow out before we put it in a customer's hands if there are any little quirks that we need them to be aware of. And when you're mid season getting new product in, it makes it a little difficult to have it at the range. Yeah. And I, I want to get excited about I, I love gear. I love new bows. I love reading through all the, the specs and everything and seeing where the technology is going. But I can't really get I can't get excited about it in October, November, because I know I'm not even going to touch a different bow anytime soon because I'm hunting with the rig that I started the season with. I'm not going to change. And some guys do, but I I just I don't want 
I want as few variables in my season as possible. Yeah, that scares me. Yes. <laughs> yeah, going to a brand new boat. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's you get even driving a car, you get used to your car. You st- you know, say you have to borrow your wife's vehicle for a day or whatever. It's it's different. You've been dr- driving a car your whole life. What's different? Well, it's just the feel of it. That that to me, it's the same with a bow. It's yep. you get used to your feel and everything's set up the way you want it, and it's just changing it. I don't know, mid-season. It's just, to me, it's like, man, I'm asking for trouble here. Yeah, something's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. Mike, are there any? Th- is there anything that a typical bow hunter can do to best support their local archery shop? Um, You know, just come in. You know, if, if I get somebody in the door, I'm going to have them shoot something. And, you know, I don't want any customer to ever walk out the door without shooting something. We'll put a recurve in your hand if you haven't shot one. You know, bring your kids in. Uh, that's where the market is still ripe. You know, the youth shooters, Hmm. you know, the kids who don't like to play baseball, soccer, you put a bow in their hand and they just light up and smile. But you, you know, you just come in, check people out, you know, go to your local shop, see what they've got going. You know, they're going to be friendly. They're going to have a smile on their face if they're still in business and uh, they'll, 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 they'll they'll teach you something. What, sorry, on the youth side of things, what uh, what would be a good age for entry? You know, Ooh, um, a lot of the clubs around here. So we're blessed in our area with a lot of good clubs. They'll generally let the youth come in around ten. Um, basically, you can start them shooting. My kids started when they were four. I think I pushed it a little too hard. Um, <laughs> you know, they've never not had a gun or a bow in their hand. But when they can start following safety rules is generally about the time, uh, you know, and, you know, we see it a lot. There's a youth club that has 200 members, I believe, and they just run a ton of kids through. Mm-hmm. They're all, you know, they come in on Saturdays, you know, just fun to watch kids who you connect with archery. See, because my son's five. I'm trying to figure out like he's he's every time I'm shooting, he's all about it. And right now, all I got is a suction cup little, you know, bow and arrow for him. And it's it's I want to continue to um cultivate that, you know, knowledge yeah. base of of having a bow in his hand, but he's kind of losing interest with the suction cup bow. You know what I mean? He needs, it's like, he needs something a little, an actual, I, I want to give him an actual bow, but I don't know what to, like what step to go to, to, you know, cause he's small and I don't think he's able to actually, even a little kid's bow, Is I think it's too, too big. I think it would be for him. The, the mass weight on the youth bows is where the, the problems lie. Um, we get them shooting recurves because then you don't have to explain aiming. You just tell them it's yeah. like throwing a rock. You focus on your target. You launch the arrow that way, and your subconscious mind adjusts. And So recurves, how long are those bows? Uh, you can get them. I mean, little bitty ones. Like, well, we've, you know, I'll have them from age four years on up generally. Really? Um, you know, it's just a little plinking toy, just yeah. like your little BB gun was. But yeah, it just gets that mind going, that sub building that subconscious mind. That's what I need because I want to just keep making sure he's continues to be mm-hmm. interested, you yep. know, until he's ready to actually shoot. Yeah. So that's what that's what my kids have. And they have a blast out in the backyard. And most of the time, the safest place to be is in front of the target because they're just yeah. winging arrows all over yeah. the place. But they have such a good time. with Yeah. Them. I actually, in our, you were talking about the, our area in general and the youth, the youth clubs. I have a couple of people and and I'm probably what, 35, 40 minutes South of here that their kids are all into these leagues as well. I see them all in their backyard shooting and Mm -hmm. I've given them some targets and, you know, try to help and range finders and stuff like that. When, you know, when I move on to the next 
you know, product that gets sent to us when they've had some bow issues and I always try to send them your way. Cause there, there's not a ton of places that are very knowledgeable, honestly. I mean, you know, so I would think from that perspective, like you probably see a lot of people from a pretty wide area in mm-hmm. the, in, in the St. Louis region, wouldn't you? Yeah. I got a pretty big draw. Um, we've never really done, you know, how far out people are willing to come, but generally, you know, a lot of them think nothing to drive an hour. We've got a few who come from Kirksville. They're quite entertaining. Wow. You know, they'll drive down to get a peep side adjust. I'm like, mm. wow, there's somebody close to you can do that. I was going to say, there's a shop up there. <laughs> and I think they just enjoy the drive. Yeah. Coming down to see pictures, things sure. like that. Good customers. There is a level of trust and a relationship that you establish. And and mm-hmm. I, I, know, I mean, I have such fond memories of the, I think it was called the Bow Hut in Morris, Illinois. Mike Grell was the owner and I would, my dad would take me there and he would shoot and I would shoot 10 yards with my little Indian spirit compound bow. And, and I just, I love this, but he would just sit around. They had bar stools set up there at the, at the, the kind of counter where they'd work on stuff and just sit and shoot the breeze. And, and it was such a great atmosphere to be a part of. And, and you, you hate to think about losing that potentially if, well, I think that's a bigger, it's a bigger conversation because it's kind of like the old days when we would have to go to a check-in station with your yeah, turkey kind of or thing. your deer or whatever. It's that mentality of getting to hang out after the success of a harvest and you're just kind of continuing to lose that a little more and more and more. And an archery shop is probably one of the last holdouts, you know, or, or in general, a, a outdoor themed shop is right. one of the last holdouts for that camaraderie you know, realistically. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's a, it's a real personal connection. Yeah. And, and, and when you're handing someone your bow to work on, you're kind of saying like, here's my child, please take care of them. That That's the thing I'm always amazed with. Like we shoot the breeze there while you're working on it. I wouldn't, if, I wouldn't be able to work on anything with somebody there pestering me and talking to me. I don't know how you and Cameron do it so well. They say it's my left brain. But yeah, I mean, that's, you know, we're sitting there working on something. You got to create conversation. You don't yeah. want to sit there and have that dull, awkward silence. Yeah. So yeah, we just talk and work and, you know, and that's when you get to meet people, make those connections, figure out what they do. Yeah. You know, and then they, once, the, once you get them talking, you know, they feel like you're a friend, hopefully. And that's how we want it. You know, friend, part of the archery family. Yeah. I would imagine the word of mouth then is probably your best marketing tool. I would think, oh, you know. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what it is. Somebody recommends you, you know, social media has changed all that. You know, everybody goes on there for recommendation, but yeah, word of mouth is why I'm still here. Yeah. 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 Well, we sure appreciate what you do for Drew Outdoors and. Oh, we appreciate you guys getting, getting us in ASAP whenever you can. And so, and if, if you have a local archery shop, so this is just to the listeners out there. If you have a local archery shop, support them, like go, go visit, hang out and you'll learn stuff. It's not just the, just the sheer economics. Every of it. time you will learn, you'll learn things, you know? And it, like I said, anytime I got a hitch in my, in my draw, it it's nice to have someone look at it that knows you know, outside perspective knows what they're looking at and can kind of say, you know, it's like, it's almost like having a golf instructor or something like that. It's like, you know, what's wrong with my swing? It's like, all right, what's, what's, what am I doing wrong here? Mm -hmm. I came in, I think it was earlier in the fall this year. It's like, I'm just a little bit of target panic. What's going on here? You know, it's kind of gave me some tips about punching and you gave me this get up that you had with a string attached to it. And, you know, it's like, all right, yeah, now I feel better. It's almost like a therapist. <laughs> the, the other really fun thing for me at, at an archery shop is to check out the used bow rack. 
Because it's sometimes just a strata of history. Because you get some pretty old rigs on there, but then you get stuff that just you know someone shot for a year and they decide they want the next and best thing. It's kind of fun to see what kind of diversity is there on the rack. Well, that's a, so we don't have a used bow rack, but we have the repairs, and you can just look at them. Yeah, that's what we'll do. So we'll talk history. Look how old some of these are. You know, some of these are thirty-year-old bows. Yeah. People are still shooting them. They're still effective with them. Well, that brings up a good question. So one of the things we, you know, the archery industry. I don't think that there's maybe to some of the viewers that aren't as tied into it as we are, but it's struggling in a lot of ways, mostly because of the compound sales aren't as good as they used to be due to the crossbow sales. So, you know, one of the things that I find interesting, we talk about all the time is like the technology advanced so far for a few years, there's like eight, 10 years there where it was leaps and bounds every year. And if you got a bow in the last decade, you know, the question really begs to be asked, like, do you need another new bow? And it's almost like a car, you know, cars these days, do you need a new car? Probably not, but people like having the latest one because there's some little bell or whistle. Is that what you're seeing? Like, that's the only reason that's driving continued new sales. Or is it that a guy that had a bow for 20 years finally says, you know what, I'm going to buy a new one or you know, what's, what are you seeing? Mostly you get the nail in the head. We used to have guys every year come in and get the newest, most improved. And they stopped noticing a difference probably, you know, five, six years ago. Yeah, the, the compound market's kind of plateaued. Now, the other thing we're seeing is a lot of guys are all getting older, so they're going for less poundage. So mm-hmm. that's a new sale. But it's just kind of, you know, guys come in, treat themselves. You know, I accomplished this. I'm going to get a new bow. You know, they might look at their old bow. It shows a little where I want to, you know, I want a new one that looks new. Do you see things like camo patterns or colors of strings or, you know, the grips or like little things, like cosmetic things, do they make a big difference in the sale as well? Sometimes, yes, that does. Sometimes that can just push that sale because we'll get a lot of bows, custom colors on the strings, custom, you know, different limb riser combinations. And so that bow sticks out. It's your bow. Nobody else is going to have one just like it. Mm. So that does sometimes push them right over the edge. Mm. I just want something a deer is not going to pick out in the tree. That's all I care about. I'll be honest. Like I'm more, I'm kind of opposite. I, I like the way it looks. I mean, I'm that yeah. way with my vehicle. I'm just, I don't know why it has means nothing to the deer, obviously. Mm-hmm. And to your point, maybe it's, maybe I got an ego problem. I don't know. <laughs> it's but a reflection I, of you. I, right? I, that's what I'm saying. Extension. I like to yeah. have something that's decked out and looking cool and, you know, bad to the bone. I like all my arrows to be fletched the same way. I mean, I know guys that have four different looking arrows in their quiver and that drive me nuts. <laughs> Maybe that's OCD. I don't know, but no, I can't, you know, I can't reasonable. do that. And so, um, you know, I, you know, I, may, I don't know. I, I just, it is a factor for me. Yeah. So that's why I asked, you know, oh, if, yeah. that, if that pushes people over the edge. Yeah. It brings them in They're you know, they're shopping for certain colors. And like when we restring your bow, I, a lot of times I have to order that string. It doesn't cost me extra to, I just lay out the custom colors. Here you go. And some people's eyes get real big and they get all excited. Yeah. And then when they see it on there that, you know, yeah, they're happy. It's like putting a set of rims on a vehicle. It's the ones that you wanted, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's and the string you wanted, the color you want. It seems like manufacturers are picking up on that because they they're doing more custom, you know, customize your own rig on the site. And, yeah. And people enjoy doing that. Yeah. So well, you mentioned, 
arrows and having multiple different kinds in, yeah. in, your, in your quiver. Let's hop into the question of the day because it happens to be Ooh, about arrows. Good segue. Yeah. All right. The question of the day is brought to you by the Sportsman's Channel, your home for everything red, wild, and blue, and the new home of Winchester and Drury's Natural Born. Hey, guys. Long-time listener, first-time caller. Uh, this is Dustin Prevo from Pennsylvania. Hey, I got a question in regards to archery setup. How important is bear shaft tuning, and is it something that we can easily do from home? Dustin wins the award for briefest, most to the point question, and D- Dustin is a deer cast rider. Uh, so, so <laughs> this uh, is rigged. Full, full disclosure: um, we we love Dustin. He does a great job. He and he, he's one. He's someone like us. He geeks out over their rigs and wanting wanting it to be just so and dialed in perfectly. Oh, Dustin, you're going to get me in trouble on this one. I'm not a big bear shaft um, tune fanatic. I personally prefer a walk back method or uh, shooting a broadhead, you know, a fixed blade broadhead and tuning that way. It's, you know, you can, you hit the nail on the head. You can do it in your home. That's why a lot of guys do it. They don't have a range they can go to outside. I like to shoot distance to uh, French tune, you know, walk back tune. And uh, that's my preferred method. Um, it'll get you, it'll get you close. I do believe but there again, you know, it's something you can do at home. Um, we were we were actually doing experiments this time of year with how much we could actually move our rest. You know, we were just going left and right real fast with a micro tune, and we got thirty clicks before it started showing any difference in the paper tear. So, and what you, did a click represent in terms of distance? Um, oh boy, I'm going to say a sixty fourth of an inch, maybe. Okay, so micro, um, micro. Yeah, it was a micro, but. When you go outside, you're going to start noticing things at distance a lot faster than you would bear shaft tuning. You know, something fun you can do, but don't dwell on it. You know, once you do, once you do that, then go outside, shoot some distance, you know, on a day that's not windy at some distance, you know, get some range time. And for those that may not be familiar with bear shaft tuning, it's essentially getting your, your, your fletched arrows your shafts to fly exactly like your fletched arrows with a field with a field tip. So I was assuming you know a lot of guys will do bear shaft paper tuning, or it is you know like you said, getting them both to impact the same spot. But yep. then and then that's the other part of the question too is so we start walking back you know from about five yards on back to our doors, uh, I think like fifteen yards, and we even notice differences in that. You know, so mm-hmm. you got to do it at more than one distance. And really, bear shaft tuning seems to be more about just discovering if your rest is properly dialed in. Yes. And then some people are also even, you know, um, moving the, you know, the top, the cam back and forth on the top and bottom of the bow. Yeah. I prefer to move the rest versus, you know, moving your cam. That's just me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That would be above my pay grade. I, that would be where I take it, <laughs> where I take it to you and have you take a look at it. But like, and, and ultimately I, I don't think I've, I don't think I've bear shaft tuned this, bow I'm shooting right now. I've just always been very fun, very focused on the functionality. Like, will it shoot those rages the way I need it to? And I, like, I, I don't even, when people say things fly like a field point, I don't really care. I'm, I'm going to target, I'm going to target shoot with my practice, with my practice broadheads so that there's no, like, there's just no difference. The bow's going to put it, put the arrow where I need it to go. Dad talks about that a lot with crossbows. He said a lot of times, you know, guys are shooting, practicing with field tip or whatever, but he, he practices, he actually practices with a rage head yeah. just to be safe because he said it, it, 
I mean, they were, they were, when they first started shooting him, he was getting it to where, Hey, four or five arrows bolts shot great. And then they put the broadhead on they, you know, it's like, Oh my gosh, it's not shooting anything like that. So he just got to the point. I understand that 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 can be expensive, but they, to your point, they make heck a three pack of practice Mm -hmm. heads and, I know that Rage has, you know, we're, we're sponsored by Rage, so that's why we're talking about it. But I know, like, they have crossbow heads, but he actually uses a chisel 2-3, I think, like a, what, what we actually shoot with uh-huh. our compounds. And he's just wanting that widest, you know, cutting diameter. And so, you know, you can get a three-pack of those practice heads and... That's what we shoot. That's what we shoot with sure. a lot of times. So, and, and to be fair, some people, you know, you <laughs> you will get some dirty looks, and you'll probably get scolded if you go to an archery range and try shooting practice broadheads into someone's but, into someone's target. Well, especially ba- bag targets, it's you just uh, have a hell of a time trying to pull <laughs> yeah. the arrow out. Yeah. But those new targets, those foam, foam targets, like that Morel foam target, I mean, it'll eat, it, it'll eat it up after a couple seasons, but we've been shooting them two full seasons now. And I still have the, that, that they have called the, um, a high roller. Oh yeah. yeah. Big, I mean, I'm still using the first one. Yeah. And, the beauty of that is you just keep rotating sides and yep. yeah, it eats it up. I mean, every time you pull it out with those practice heads, something's coming out with it, Sure, but you know, it's, it's not that, it's not that hard to, it, it's not, it's just some people may not have, you know, they may not be able to shoot in their backyard. They may have to go to, to a range somewhere True, and whether or not they have foam targets to shoot into, like you get yourself in trouble if you're shooting someone. That's a good point. Big wall targets. Yeah. Yes, certain ranges, they don't want you shooting broadheads. You know, a lot of times, like you said, you know, we'll go to the range, but we'll bring our own target. And, yeah, there you go. You know, sometimes that'll fly. Yeah. Well. I want to shoot my bow so badly, right? I don't know, man. <laughs> my shoulder's been hurting for the last couple months here. So, I'm, I'm, I shouldn't be, I'm only 38, so I shouldn't be that guy that's like, man, I got to shoot a crossbow because my shoulder hurts. But it's, I can see where guys, dad, Mark's age, that they actually legitimately are having those issues. Yeah. And I could see why. I mean, I could see where after time it just starts working on you. And it's such a different motion than what most people do during the normal scope of their day. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, you really got to protect your shoulder. But yeah. All right. Well, how about the wildlife word? Before we get to it, I want to know what's the craziest story you got of somebody blowing up a bow. <laughs> oh my! Because oh, I know it's getting anyone in trouble. Yeah, yeah. Not naming names, but I know it's got to happen. Um, we had one customer custom ordered his bow, beautiful orange bow. Takes great pride in his bow. We get it all set up. He named it, you know, before he left the shop. The bow oh. had a name. Was it a female name or a masculine name? Oh boy, that I, I can't it's remember. Be female, right? I would think so. Gets gets it to work, sets it down in his office. His coworker comes in. Oh. That bow lasted 20 minutes. Oh. That is the shortest amount of time a bow has lasted. The guy driving, he pulled it back with his fingers. Oh, yeah. His uh, coworker just dry fired it. And didn't even know that's yeah, a thing. Had, probably. had no clue. He said he was out of his office. He heard the loud noise, knew exactly what happened. There's um, a tremor in the force. Yes. <laughs> said a few words that we can't say oh, and uh, brought it right back. Oh, that's, that's terrible. terrible. And in, in a case like that, warrant, is there warrant? I've never asked that. Is there warranties? Oh, boy. On? That, that's a good question. So... A lot of people, some would assume that should be a warranty, but it's technically not. You messed you know, up, right? Yeah, somebody 
I tell them it's like you drove your car off the road and you hit the tree. Yeah. The motor didn't have a malfunction, uh-huh. you know, it was operator error. Yeah. And yeah, he wanted a new bow <laughs> and, you know, he had enough confidence and we told him we're going to replace every part that is broken. Don't worry. And uh, yeah, he's still out there hunting with that bow right now. Ooh, that'd be... That'd make you cry. <laughs> yeah, that'd make someone get fired. I mean, because yeah. these bows, you know, you're talking custom. They're not cheap, you know. No. Well, you spend probably 1200 bucks or more. Yeah, 1400 it was, Yeah, it was easy 12 And uh, yeah, when he, when he named it, it was like taking home a new baby. <laughs> and it's only, it's only then when you fully appreciate how much energy is stored up in a bow. When you, when, when you see like cams go flying and part, like that's when you realize there's – because I, I think you, you're lulled into a false sense of security because the arrow just goes down range, yeah. goes into the target. You don't think about you it. You don't think about it. But man, that when, when the wheels come off the machine, it's bad. Well, that brings up a real fast safety problem we have. Um, I always tell people, please don't ever draw a bow back and point it at us with no arrow in it. And they're like, why? Well, we've actually had a bow blow up, the limb bolt go through the wall. Oh, and you have it's it's Pop. stored energy. Yep, boom. I mean, right through the wall. Because I guess it's on a lever, almost like when it goes, it's yeah. just gonna. Well, that's forward. where all the force is, right? Yep. Well, I mean, I know the cam, but I mean, that's that's what's holding it together down there, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. the bolt turned into the arrow. You know, something something gave, something flew, and then you know people's eyes get real big when you tell them that story because they're always drawing their bow back in their basement, pointing it at everybody. Yeah, <laughs> scary. So before the what last thing, what would be the best tip, the, the something that most your general shooter to your expert shooter could take away for, for the sport of archery, a, a general tip that you could give them. Uh, practice, practice, practice. You know, I, you know, everybody's lives are getting so much shorter now, you know, spend a little time with the range then practice out of, if you're shooting from a tree stand, practice out of a tree, shoot at the angle. You're going to be shooting a deer. We see so many people shooting high on deer because they haven't practiced yet shot. You know, there's a lot of elevated ranges around, you know, shoot off your deck, um, find some way to get up in a tree and practice shooting the way you're going to shoot your deer. It's a good tip. The, 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 the most universal truths are always the ones that, that are typically the least sexiest. Just practice shooting your bow. Yeah. Well, to your point, it's hard. It's hard to get the time, especially yep. if you got a young family or you sports or whatever. It's hard to find the time these days. So that's, right. that's one of the things that you know I learned from dad. And as a kid, he was never a great shot, so he had to practice a lot. I mean, he'll start practicing in you know July, June, July, and he he. I mean, he never wavers. He's always shooting his bow and he has to, you know, he just has to, to, to be somewhat proficient at what he does. He's got to shoot a lot. And it was just kind of ingrained into me. I usually start more like the beginning of August, the end of July. It depends what the weather's doing. If it's super hot, it might take me a little longer to get yeah, started. Not a whole lot of fun. But if it's a, mi- a somewhat mild summer, you get the itch and you want to start shooting and you just got to make the time. And so usually it's right after work, you know, go home. It's the first thing we do before me and Cameron, you know, it's the mm-hmm. first thing we do before dinner and all that stuff. It's like, all right, I want to shoot my bow all at least you know, say at least 15, 20 arrows, you know, it may not be one huge long session, but if sure. I can get, you know, a few reps in, 
I feel like I'm getting that repetitive nature down at the very least. And Pete Shepley always said, perfect practice makes perfect. So it's not that you're shooting just to shoot, but you're being efficient with the the shots that you're taking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'd rather do 15 shots a night than 60 shots on Saturday. Yeah. You know, that cold shots are most important. Yeah. Yeah. I find myself, the more I shoot to... I get tired or you're getting lazy with some part of your, you know, your get up, whatever mm-hmm. it might be. So I, I personally like the 15 to 20 arrows every day, more so than 60 in one, one time. Yeah. And, and I find, if I find myself struggling, the, the more I shoot, the worse it gets. It's not going to get like, better. <laughs> I, I have learned and dad taught me that too. It's like, I've learned in time that you can't always work through it. Like, Okay, let's just set it aside. I, this yeah. sucks. The Getting angry is not going to help. Six arrows it. were really bad. Like, I'm going to put this up before, you know, I shoot 60 arrows and suck for mm-hmm. 55 of them. Yep. <laughs> so. yep. My wife can attest to that. I'm coming <laughs> from the backyard, awfully grumpy before, trying to push through. It yeah. never works. So, All right. The wildlife word brought to you by Mike's Archery. Yeah. So we do a a segment every podcast or most podcasts where Tim comes up with some sort of word or phrase related to wildlife or hunting. And uh, he tries to stump me and he stumps me every time. And And we all learn something. I feel like rods and cones. I know something about rods and cones because of vision. Yeah, you're right. You're you're on the right track. Let's let's hear it. So rods and cones are photo and uh, color receptors in the eyes of animals. And deer have a much higher concentration of rods than they do cones. So they can see movement very well and they can see in low light. But color is not their strong suit. And they can see blue very well. No kidding. Because of the the. the, the types of cones they have in their eyes. So um, ditch the blue jeans before you hit the woods. Hey, there's going to be a lot of guys that argue that point. <laughs> I usually shoot a blue fletching because it's one of the easiest colors to find in the woods. Oh, well. Well, they ain't going to see that coming at them. <laughs> they yeah, won't they see that. In a few per second. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, there, there you go. go. Wildlife, Wildlife word of the day. Word. You get what you pay for, everybody. <laughs> well, this my, is free. <laughs> Mike, thank you for taking the time to stop in. We we really appreciate it, and and hopefully, folks have learned a little bit of something about the local archery shop and can do some uh, supporting of that. That it's a community, it's a family, it's part of the 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 deer hunting community. So we need to be supportive. Let us know where all we can find you. Any social media, site, website, you know, physical address. Um, physical address: eighteen Main Street, Old Town, St. Peter's, six three three. Seven six. That's where I'm at. Um, social media. I don't do much of that. Um, yeah. If you feel free, just feel want to call the shop two seven nine six three six two seven nine one zero nine three. And 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 there is a Facebook page. I'll make sure that we link that up for folks that are. You need to get Cameron on that stuff. So when I say Cameron, he's got a camera that works for him. Big so Cameron. It's not my Cameron. It's mm-hmm. his Cameron. Yeah. Gotta get Cameron on that. That's his. That's his job. That should be his job. Young guy. Should be all over social media. I want to get paid more then. <laughs> we'll see if we can work a deal. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks everyone, everyone for tuning in. If you want to leave a question for us, just go to drewoutdoors.com slash podcast and click the send voicemail tab and leave your name, location, and what your question is. And we will do our best to get to that on air. All right. We don't have anything we're giving away right now. We don't have anything we're pimping out. (laughs) It's just us. I'm sorry. But until next time, we hope that you get a chance to go shoot your bow. And when you do so, be safe. See ya.